Good evening. The Attorney General of New York reveals a major change in how cops must interact with the public to aim to reduce police killings. More fighting in Jerusalem, but the ceasefire with Hamas holds and cops and accountability. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Sunday, May 23rd, 2021. New York City Attorney General Letitia James announced legislation Friday to require all New York police officers to reserve using lethal force as a last resort when responding to an incident and hold law enforcement accountable. The Police Accountability Act, which was introduced in the state Senate and Assembly on Friday afternoon, would amend state penal law to require any state police officer or peace officer to refrain from using excessive or deadly force to arrest a person or prevent his or her escape from custody. According to the proposed law, lethal action may only be taken when an officer believes a person commits a felony involving kidnapping, arson, death, or serious bodily injury, or that the person is armed with a firearm or other deadly weapon. The legislation was announced days before Tuesday's anniversary of the killing of George Floyd, a 46-year-old unarmed black man killed by former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin, who pressed his knee into Floyd's neck for more than nine minutes. James says the legislation is intended to establish a last resort standard to limit an officer's use of force. The attorney general was joined by sponsors and supporters of the bill, including Gwen Carr, mother of Eric Garner, who was killed in a chokehold in 2014. Require officers to consider whether the same end can be accomplished with non-deadly force or no force at all. It will mandate that an officer only use deadly force when they truly believe it is necessary. And that, a, and that a reasonable person in the same position would also hold that belief. It will ensure that lethal force is deemed appropriate only when a threat is truly imminent, which is what officers are already taught and is already outlined in their patrol guide. So this is an attempt to codify that which exists in an officer's patrol guide. But there are fact-specific cases where officers could have used non-lethal force to contain the situation or restrain the individual or to effectuate an arrest. In addition to the reforms, this bill will also establish a new criminal offense and penalties for police officers who employ force that is grossly in excess of what is warranted under the circumstances and where that force force causes physical injury or death. And that means that even if it's determined that an officer is justified in using some force, if they are found to have far used far more force than is necessary, they can potentially face a new criminal charge. And the severity of that crime uh, depends upon the circumstances. And while there will be no justice as long as people, groups of people in this country are unequally killed, my hope is that today with this legislation, we can provide clear and concise and an objective standards. My name is Gwen Carr. I am the mother of Eric Garner. As you know, almost seven years ago, my son was murdered by NYPD. He said, I can't breathe 11 times. And 11 times they decided not to let him live. We all saw the video, so we know that it was excessive force that was used. We are tired of having our black and browns murdered 
by the police, the, our unarmed black and brown, our the ones who are terrorized by the police. Attorney General Tish James is so important. It represents the first major step in this nation to bring about change. We have to have some accountability to let them know they're not just going to get away with it. It's not just going to be swept under the rug. Our next speaker is the deputy leader of the New York State Senate. Ladies and gentlemen, Senator, uh, Deputy Leader Michael Janaris. There's far too many instances of police misconduct. And every time we see it on the news, there's a reaction and we push to get things done. And sometimes uh, we do. But more important is to focus on it, even when it's not at front and center in the news. You think it would be simple enough to say we should not authorize someone to take someone's life unless there was no other option. And yet that is not the state of our law right now. Think about that for a second. We do not have the standard in New York that you shouldn't kill somebody unless it's, there's no other option available to law enforcement. And this proposal will go a long way towards ending that. Good afternoon, everyone. I am Assemblywoman Catalina Cruz. I represent Jackson Heights, Corona, and Elmhurst, and I want to thank our Attorney General first. And we can expect that when an unfortunate murder, because that's what they are, happens at the hands of police, and we send in the Attorney General to do her job, and she doesn't come back with a conviction, it's not because she didn't do her job, it's because the law is written in a way that does not allow her to do it. Finally, I want to introduce Michael Szyzycki. He's the senior policy counsel for the New York. Experience has shown us that it's not enough for current law to simply permit officers to use force that they deem necessary. We need clearer standards in the law to establish that no amount of force can be used if it could otherwise be avoided or reduced. And it's imperative that an officer's own actions leading up to any use of force factor into the equation here. It's not enough to just look at the situations at the moment when an officer pulls the trigger. The law must hold officers accountable for their own conduct. That is all too often the reason that these encounters escalate. And New York City Attorney General Letitia James, Gwen Carr, and others announcing the Police Accountability Act introduced in the state Senate and Assembly on Friday afternoon. The head of the NYPD's Captains Endowment Association slammed the measure as, quote, more anti-police legislation, making it more difficult to do our jobs. And Attorney General James couldn't escape questions about several high-profile investigations of her own during the Friday news conference. James's office in March was asked by Governor Andrew Cuomo to launch a subpoena-empowering investigation after multiple women accused Cuomo of sexually inappropriate comments and behavior. Cuomo has publicly and privately urged fellow Democrats to wait for the conclusions of James' report amid calls for his resignation. Aides to Governor Cuomo blasted the probe as political and that James is angling for her own run as governor for governor on james on friday james said the comments were a personal attack and by saying our investigation will conclude when it concludes it's very thorough and comprehensive and two i'm not going to respond to any personal attacks on me and or my office i deal with over um, eighteen hundred employees who are professional who come to work each and every day focusing on the law and the facts and politics stops at the door and so anything other than that um, obviously, I ignore. We ignore all of those comments. We are doing our work pursuant to an executive order that was issued by the governor of the state of New York. Attorney General Letitia James. While he was attorney general, Cuomo's office led investigations of fellow Democratic governors Elliot Spitzer and David Patterson. And the second hot button investigation is the civil now criminal investigation of the Trump organization, a two pronged 
deep dive into the organization's practices. A criminal probe by Manhattan District Attorney Cy Vance Jr. and a civil probe led by James's office. On Friday, James said two uh, lawyers said two lawyers from her office have been assigned to help Vance. So to be clear, our civil investigation continues. But we are now actively investigating the Trump organization in a criminal capacity. And we are working alongside cooperating with um, the Manhattan District Attorney, Cy Vance. Um, as was mentioned, I believe, in some newspaper, two of our assistant attorney generals have been cross-designated as district attorneys. It was James's first public comments on the Trump investigation. Trump released a statement on Wednesday complaining that he was unfairly attacked and abused by a corrupt political system. He argues the investigation is part of a Democratic conspiracy to silence his voters and prevent him from running for president again. And in... International news. Dozens of Jewish settlers flanked by heavily armed Israeli special forces entered the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound and occupied East Jerusalem in the early morning, further raising tensions hours after Palestinian worshippers were beaten and assaulted by Israeli police. Video of the assault on the sacred site was widely distributed on social media. The Palestinian news agency says Israeli police assaulted Palestinian worshippers who were performing dawn prayers at the mosque and excessively beat them in order to make way for Israeli Jewish settlers to storm the compound, Islam's third holiest site. The group of right-wing Israelis who were escorted onto the site by the Israeli police, are uh, the site is known as the Temple Mount, are reported to envision the reconstruction of the ancient Jewish temple on the site of the thousand-plus-year-old mosques. In related news, a pro-Palestinian Associated Press journalist, Emily Wilder, was fired for allegedly violating AP policies on using social networks. The firing came after the AP promised to protect Wilder, who had come under withering attacks from pro-Israel trolls on the Internet. Wilder, who's Jewish, had asserted the news media's bias in favor of Israel, as illustrated by never using the name Palestine, but referring to the entire region as Israel. Meanwhile, according to the United Nations Humanitarian Office, at least 129 out of 248 people killed in Gaza were civilians and 1,042 housing and commercial units were severely damaged. The Israel Defense Forces attacked more than 1,500 targets and Palestinian militant groups launched more than 4,300 rockets at Israel. Thousands were injured and hundreds of millions of dollars of property and infrastructure was estimated damaged or destroyed. But despite the recriminations, including fights between Israeli Palestinians and Jews, today Israelis marched in Tel Aviv in support of Gaza. We came here to protest against violence. The ceasefire. The ceasefire had to end. However, it does not end the siege on Gaza. It does not end the occupation in the West Bank and East Jerusalem. It does not end the systematic discrimination within Israel of Palestinian citizens in Israel. There's a ceasefire now and we're just waiting for the next cycle of violence. And we don't want that. We are demanding the end of the cycle of violence. We have a fascist regime here in Israel. It doesn't have to do with left or right. It's just uh, the elite. They took control of the system and we're fighting back. They're trying to instigate war and we will we'll not let them instigate war. So that's why I'm here. 
And in Sunnyside, Queens, yesterday, thousands of Palestinians and their supporters crisscrossed the borough chanting. The scene yesterday in Sunnyside, Queens. On Friday, President Joe Biden addressed the growing divide among Democrats, with progressives from Ilan Omar to Bernie Sanders calling for a sea change in the United States' $3 billion a year in military support for Israel. What is your message to Democrats who want you to be more confrontational with Israel? There is no shift in my commitment, the commitment to the security of Israel, period. No shift, not at all. We still need a two-state solution. It is the only answer. The only answer. And what I'm convinced of is that we can now move before the ceasefire was negotiated. I made it clear that I spoke with President Abbas. We are going to provide for security in the West Bank. We renewed the security commitment as well as economic commitment to the people on the West Bank. I also indicated to the Israelis that I thought it was very important that they stop in Jerusalem this intercommunal fighting that is by extremes on both sides. It has to end. It has to end. We're going to attempt to put together a major package to rebuild the homes and without providing Hamas the opportunity to rebuild their weapon systems, rebuild Gaza. They need the help and I'm committed to get that done. My party still supports Israel. Let's get something straight here. Until the region says unequivocally they acknowledge the right of Israel to exist as an independent Jewish state, there will be no peace. President Biden. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Gaza, where 2 million Palestinians have survived 11 days of bombardment by the well-equipped and powerful Israeli military machine. Buildings have been destroyed, sanitary systems disrupted, power plants bombed, and this the fourth time in less than 15 years. Yet Palestinians refuse to give up their struggle to regain their homes, lost to an invasion of mostly European Zionists in 1948. Malak Matar is a young Palestinian artist in Gaza. She had a chance to live as a successful artist in Turkey, but returned to be with her family, living under the terror of Israeli bombardment. She says it's about family and resistance. I'm uh, 21 years old. I'm from Palestine, the Gaza Strip. I was born and raised in, in the city of Gaza. Three wards survivor in 2008, 2012, and 2014. So now I'm living my fourth Israeli attack on the Gaza Strip. The airplanes are bombing hundreds and hundreds of bombings. And this is what makes it different from the wars or attacks I survived before. It's the intensity, the complexity and sophistication of the weapons that are used. They are so heavy that even if the bombings are happening many kilometers away, the house keeps shaking. All the time there is bombing. And where I am in the city and the targets are around me, which are like residential buildings, and I live in a residential building. So it makes the situation very, very intense. So as I'm now here, like speaking, the sounds of the airplanes are really loud. Mm -hmm. Again, part of the cycle.
psychological, you know, war that it, it's coming to. So you can hear planes nights, right now. Like, even yesterday. Can you hear uh, planes right now? Yeah, there are drones. Yes. You know, in every interview, like there is bombing that happens. <laughs> so it's like just like a, without having to speak about it, just the sound says like even I had a conference where there were bombings. And I felt that the clo- the glasses of the windows were going to shatter me because of how loud it was. So I had to run. I had to shut the conference and leave. Every Palestinian family in the Gaza Strip, they all stay together in one room. So mm-hmm. the reason is because if you survive, you survive together. And if you are get killed, you get killed together. So this is how much there is a threat to our life. You're a successful, recognized artist. You left the country. You could have stayed out. What brings you back to that? It's my home. And because for four years, I attempted to come and see my family. And I wanted to reconnect with my city because it's where I started my art career. And it's where I got my early inspirations. So since my classes are conducted online, I just felt like, why not enjoy uh, the holiday? We have a holiday and a holy month uh, for like us. I wanted to spend it with my family, which I see all my classmates in the school every year and every small vacation, like even three days, they fly to their families. So I wonder, like, why am I not like this? Like, why can't I just go with my family and spend the holiday with them? Why wouldn't I? Because it's my home. If there are bombings happening right now and I'm not there, I would be terrified for my family and for my city. So it's been a bliss and also a curse to come here. It's a bliss because I'm with my family. I'm not terrified uh, because if I lose my life, we will all lose it. And if we live, we will all live it. And also a curse because of the war. But again, it's expected. I live in a war zone and I've survived or not yet. I'm living the fourth attack. And it's not only for attack. People need to know that there are attacks that happen like randomly. We would be sitting and we would be hearing the sounds of bombings, even if it's not announced as an attack, even if it's not announced as a war. So it's like a daily thing. So when we hear bombings, it's not something that, wow, like it's shocking. No, it's something that unfortunately we are used to. And even like just a short story, my sister at the beginning, she's only 10. And when she survived the 2014 attack on the Gaza Strip, she was only three. Although like I remember I have flashbacks that she was also terrified and she was able to see the danger. But now that she is terrified for her life, she's struggling with her sleep. Um, she keeps running with our bumpings and she keeps like embracing my mom. But I saw her once in the sofa. And the bombing were happening just like in the other neighborhood. So the sound was extremely loud and she wouldn't really like move. And we were all running. So I was bringing her like move with us. Like we're going to stay inside away from the windows. And she looked at me carelessly and she said, I don't care. I'm used to it. So imagine like a young girl getting used to it, getting used to the war. So surviving a war is, is one thing and getting used to it. It means that there is a major dysfunction in your nerve system. It means that you are uh, getting used to being traumatized, which is a deep problem. So, yeah. yeah. Malak Matar is a Palestinian artist in Gaza. 
And the family of Kawaski Trawick, the Justice Committee and Communities United for Police Reform, met with the Civilian Complaint Review Board to push for the firing of NYPD officers Brendan Thompson and Herbert Davis, the NYPD officers who killed Trawick. Trawick was shot by cops just 112 seconds after arriving at his apartment. Kawaski was cooking in his home when officers broke the chain off his door, tased him, and shot him multiple times, killing him. Last month, it was made public that the NYPD's internal investigation found no wrongdoing by the officers. Justice Committee and CPR are calling on the CCRB, the Civilian Complaint Review Board, to substantiate charges against the officer and for Mayor de Blasio and the NYPD to fire the officers. At a news conference last week, the parents of Trawick and their lawyer, joined by the two city council members, demanded justice and described the pain of their family uh, now the, the pain of family events without their son now that he's gone. I'm Ellen Trawick. I'm Kowalski Trawick's mother. And my family and I are demanding that Brandon Thompson and Herbert Davis be fired from the New York Police Department for the murder of our son. And what we want right now is Brandon Thompson and Herbert Davis to be fired. Yes, I am Kowalski's father, Ricky Trawick, and I agree with my wife 100%. I want Brandon Thomas and Officer Davis to be fired from the department for their act because what happened that night should have never happened. Kowalski was never a threat to those police officers, and they should have not done what they've done to him and murdered him. Kowalski should be here with his family. He should be here today with his family. Our next speaker is the family's attorney, Royce Russell. We demand that police officer Thompson Davis be terminated. We demand that charges be substantiated. We are saddened by the fact that CCRB is the last chance of hope for the termination of these officers, for any disciplinary action to happen to these officers. It is not surprising, but it is still astonishing that the New York City Police Department has failed the citizens of New York once again. Where is it written that when you knock on someone's door for investigative purposes at best, because no crime was being committed, that you put on your black gloves? I'm a product of the Bronx. I see someone put on their black gloves. That does not mean that we're having a conversation. That means somebody's going to have a revelation to then pull out your taser and gun and violate all of Kowalski Trawick's civil rights and think that you are exercising humanity by barking orders, not listening, not having a conversation. And at the end of the day, the New York City Police Department say no harm, no foul. Our mayor, and we've seen this movie before, where he is standing there and has the nerve to be the commentator and the analyst for what goes on in other states. How dare you? I'm standing here with the family demanding that the CCRB substantiate the charges against Brendan Thompson and Herbert Davis immediately so we can finally see justice. And for Mayor de Blasio to shut up, to stop talking about how justice needs to exist in this country everywhere else, but here in New York City, because that's what he says. Our next speaker is Council Member Brad Landers. 
the NYPD knew what happened. They didn't even need to wait and watch the video. Like, they were there. So the NYPD knew what happened. And then immediately, you know, they watched the body cam uh, footage that day. They didn't have to wait 20 months like you did to get it or two years like the public did to see it and talk about it. They immediately knew what happened. And even after the failure of, of de-escalation, the failure that led to Kowalski's being killed, they could have gotten accountability right. But of course, that was not at all what happened after the failure of de-escalation and the failure of policing. There was this failure of accountability and a refusal to show you the footage, to be honest about what happened, to show it to the public. And that's what makes it so difficult for anyone to believe there will be justice and accountability. The CCRB must substantiate charges against Brendan Thompson and Herbert Davis. Mrs. Trawick. I know you had something else you wanted to say also about um, the impact of Ashanti's upcoming graduation. My baby girl, Kowalski's baby sister. Um, she loved Kowalski so much and she really looks up to Kowalski. He always gave her good advice. So she's graduating on May 29th. And she was very emotional a couple of weeks ago because she realized that Kowalski would not be here for her big moment of graduating high school. And it was just so emotional for our family and for her to have to accept the fact that her big brother is not going to be here because of Brandon Thompson and Herbert Davis taking his life for no family. reason. It's just so heartbreaking to our family because he should be here. He should be here to experience this moment with his baby sister whom he loved and whom she loved. He should be here for this. But he's not because of Brendan Thompson and Herbert Davis. The family and supporters of Kowalski Trawick, the unarmed man who was killed in his own home by NYPD officers Brendan Thompson and Herbert Davis. And that's some of the news for Sunday, May 23rd, 2021. The news is produced with Linda Perry, our engineers, Max Schmid. From New York City, I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening.